Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles and open up to the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. And I'll read verses 36 through 39 for us now as we prepare to hear from lead pastor Travis Simone as he brings us our Easter Sunday sermon. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Some time ago, I was on a mission trip with our student ministry team. We were working out at an orphanage in Nicaragua and we had taken the kids from the orphanage on a kind of field trip to a a national park and all the students from the chapel were playing with kids from the orphanage and there was one in particular, Nick Hill, who had a, a child resting on his shoulders and he was so happy to give this child a ride and to show the child some love and to connect with him. And and as all the kids were playing, uh, this kid just kept saying the same thing over and over to Nick. And Nick finally got, got tired of hearing the kids say the same thing. He goes, what is this kid trying to say to me? He comes over to me and says, Travis, I've had this kid on my shoulders for the past 20 minutes. And I just... Try to, trying to help him have a good time, but he won't be quiet. He just keeps saying, Bahame, Bahame. What does Bahame mean? I said, Nick, it means put me down. <laughs> you see, so many of us come to Easter services and we're not saying, Bahame, what does it mean? But we're saying, resurrection resurrection, resurrection. What does it mean? People keep talking about the resurrection, this, the resurrection, that it's so important. It's crucial. It's vital. But what does it mean? The resurrection transforms trouble and deconstructs doubt. You see, Jesus had two questions on the first Easter. They're in verse 38 of Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? The resurrection transforms trouble and deconstructs doubt. Why are you troubled, Jesus asked. They might say, we're troubled because our hope is gone. It's been smashed on the rocks of devastating circumstances. You see, they heard of this Jesus a long time ago, years ago, when he stood up in his hometown synagogue and he read from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All eyes were on him, fixed on Jesus as he finished reading these words. 
And he stunned the gathering with a one-sentence sermon. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They hoped that he had come to restore lives. The disciples that Rich read about a little earlier, the two on the road to Emmaus, they looked at each other and they said, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. They hoped Jesus would restore lives. They hoped Jesus would restore their nation. They hoped Jesus could restore all things. And they are troubled because they witnessed Jesus destroyed like a common criminal. The first Easter began with two questions. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? They doubt because death defeats everything. When Jesus is arrested, they run. They, they know where this is headed. They watched the crucifixion from a distance. They thought to themselves, if this is the end for Jesus, it's sure not going to be the end for me. And they refused to listen to the women who first received the report of the resurrection. They dismissed it as an idle tale because death defeats everything. I think Shakespeare put it best on the lips of Hamlet when he wrote, death, the undiscovered country from which no traveler returns. No traveler returns from that country. Death is the end. It's over. The first Easter began with two questions. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? I believe Jesus wants to ask each of us those same two questions this Easter. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? On September 6th, 2019, Hurricane Dorian swept over Ocracoke Island in North Carolina. They received seven feet of water in two hours. Many buildings in their little village were destroyed. They've just recently begun fully recovering. Years later, and I was able to be down there for a day trip just this past week. I was in the little bookstore and purchased a book called Ocracoke AD. AD stands for After Dorian. A woman named Heather Johnson chronicled her thoughts, her emotions, what she saw in the community during this difficult time. She writes this. I see the familiar people of our community, but their faces are different, worn by exhaustion, aged by stress, blank with shock. 
masked in trauma. It's the emotions that are especially hard. There are just so many, and most don't have names. I think we are most hungry for our rebirth. What will we look like when we come out the other side? Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Where have you been worn down by exhaustion, aged by stress? What did you see that just made you stare with a blank shock? What trauma is masked behind your face? What emotion do you not even have the word to name? I have good news this Easter Sunday. The resurrection transforms trouble and deconstructs doubt. We see trouble transformed in verses 39 and 40 of our passage. Jesus says, see my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Jesus repeats a word several times there. It's the word see. He says, see my hands and feet. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh as you see that I have. Jesus obviously wants us to notice something. See, look. See this, see, see what? See the wounds, Jesus says. See my hands and my feet. You see, the wounds that marked Jesus' death are now the wounds that mark his defeat of death. The same wounds transformed. When Jesus says, I myself, there's a lot going on in the Greek language in which Luke is writing his gospel. That phrase, I myself, is the Greek version of the Hebrew phrase, I am that I am. It's an allusion back to God appearing to Moses in a, in a burning bush, saying, I am that I am, I will be what I will be. I am the great I am. That is who speaks to you, Moses. That is my identity. And Jesus says, see my hands and feet wounded. I myself, I myself, the I am is wounded. You see, no other religion claims a God who suffered. And this was my focus in college. I was a religious studies major. I didn't just study Christianity. I looked at it all. Judaism, Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, Islam. No other religion claims a God who suffered. It would be too embarrassing. Does your God lack power? 
God doesn't suffer. God stands away from that. Not according to the Bible. Not what we see in the resurrection. You see, here's why this matters. Because God doesn't just know when you're suffering. God knows suffering. God does not erase his suffering in the resurrection. He doesn't discard it as something necessary but unpleasant. And so let's just leave that in the past. No, God transforms the suffering into the very sign of new life. So Jesus asks, why are you troubled? Know that the resurrection means your trouble will be transformed. We see doubt deconstructed. You see this in the rest of the passage, verses 41 through 49. Let me read verse 49 for us. Jesus says this, excuse me, verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy, it's such an honest portrayal of the disciples. No one would make this up. If you're writing a, a story that you wanna, you wanna make yourself look good, the disciples are staring at the resurrected Son of God. They've seen the wounds, and yet he lives, and yet they still disbelieved. It's a funny phrase, disbelieved for joy. It probably means something like they thought it was too good to be true. And the disciples, just like you and me, know that if it's too good to be true, it probably is. They disbelieved for joy and were marveling. He said to them, have you anything to eat? In the midst of their disbelief, Jesus says, have you anything to eat? Take note that Jesus begins to deconstruct their doubt relationally, not intellectually. Do you have something to eat? I'd like to sit with you, talk with you, dine with you. If you've been around the chapel any amount of time, you'll know that I like books and I like book titles. And if you're new to the chapel today, well, let's get to know each other a little bit. I love books and book titles. You can learn, I'm gonna say, you can learn sometimes about half of what you need to know about the book just from the title. I'm always looking for really good book titles and then you can save yourself a lot of time. I just came across one of my favorites and it was fascinating because it was a book uh, about systematic theology. Now, let me tell you, if you're unfamiliar with systematic theology textbooks, they rarely have intriguing titles, but this one did. It was called The End is Music. And I found it because I was supposed to say a prayer at a friend's wedding, and she loves music, and she loves playing the piano. She loves sharing that gift with others. So I found this book, The End is Music, and the claim of the book is that the, the, the call of Christ 
is so beautiful, so compelling, so vital to understanding all that we see and experience the beauty in the world that the end of it all can only be described as music. The end is music. I love that book title, but it's wrong. See, the end is not music. The end is a meal. The end of the story, if you go to the book of Revelation, is Jesus Christ as the the Lamb of God has a great wedding feast to gather all of those who are his, to eat with them, potentially accompanied by music. But I think the Italians know something about life here that others don't. The end is a meal. And Jesus invites them into that meal in this moment as he begins to systematically deconstruct their doubt. He doesn't stop there. He deconstructs their doubts biblically. He opens the scriptures. He he shows them the grand story of what God was up to all along. How every passage in the Bible is pointing forward to him. He deconstructs their doubts missionally. He he sends them on a a brave new mission. He says, you are now going to be my witnesses. Stop doubting. So many times people end up mired in their doubt because they're not moving. He says, move out of here. Be my witnesses. He deconstructs their doubts philosophically. I, I have some friends that are philosophy professors and they're always trying to ask clearer questions to get clearer answers. And earlier in the passage, you heard these two people on the road to Emmaus. They said, we had hope he was here to redeem Israel. Who is Who was Jesus here to redeem? Israel is the wrong answer. You need a sharper question then. Jesus, then then is Jesus here to redeem and restore me? Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth, to all nations, he tells them. Try asking a, a bigger question. Then when are you going to redeem Israel? Or when are you going to redeem me? But when are you going to restore all nations? He deconstructs their doubts spiritually by by saying, I'm going to send you power from on high. I'm going to give you spiritual power for this new task that I'm calling you to. And finally, my favorite one, he deconstructs their doubts spatially. What do I mean spatially? When he talks about sending the Holy Spirit, he says they will be clothed with power from on high that I will be as close to you as the shirt on your back. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. But all the doubt deconstruction starts with a question. Do you have anything to eat? It's the third question of Easter. You see, my friend did not speak Spanish. 
And so he could not understand the child's request to Bahame. But everyone speaks the language of a meal. There is no special skill involved in eating. I once sat with a man who was about to die and watched his daughter keep her father hydrated by gently placing watermelon into his mouth. The barriers to eating are quite low. You don't need the right job. You don't have to have the right connections. You don't need to get certain grades or test scores or perform on the sports team. You just have to answer Jesus's question. Do you have anything to eat? Note that in our passage, Jesus ate before them. But I know he longed to eat with them. You see, resurrection means trouble is transformed. Doubt is deconstructed. And maybe most surprisingly of all, resurrection means Jesus is eating. And so the final question of Jesus is, do you have something to eat? Or maybe we might put it like this. Are you eating with him? If you place your faith in Jesus Christ right now, if you trust him with your heart, if you transfer your trust from whatever it is that you think is going to save you to Jesus Christ in this moment, he will welcome you to the feast. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? And do you have anything to eat? Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day. Thank you.